Film Pulse is supported by the kind donations from listeners like you. Please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash filmpulse for just $1 a month and help keep the podcast on the air. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Film Pulse. This is episode number 260. My name is Adam Patterson. Joining me today, Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing okay. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. What was that? Good stuff cheap? Ollie's? <laughs> Correct. Yes. I don't think many people will know what Ollie's Good is. Good stuff is that, cheap. Is that still around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's one they, like right across the street from where I used to live in New York, but... Yeah. Yeah, they redid that one. Oh boy, it's uh, it, it's nicer. <laughs> it's relative. <laughs> yeah, relatively speaking, I actually used to go there to get books. You can buy books there for really cheap prices. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That, I just was... love that. Like the main thing of Ollie's is that the whole back section is just giant rugs. <laughs> Like, if you need a giant rug for dirt cheap, Ollie's is the place. Ollie's is the place to go. It's such a Dis- specific Discount books and rugs. There you go. Uh, this week on the show, we'll be talking about Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. We'll also be going over some of the watching on the watch list and new releases. I think we should just go ahead and jump into our review for the day. Ooh, just jump straight into Dunkirk. Yeah, I think we gotta... We gotta done this Kirk Kirk this done I'm gonna Kirk this done all the way up I've been obsessed with that for the last few days I know same here (laughs) I have a synopsis here allied soldiers from Belgium the British Empire and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II this is written and directed by Christopher Nolan now I gotta say Kevin Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I loved this movie oh you're just right off the bat huh I am throwing it out there. Wow. I had a a fantastic time with this movie. Epic, powerful. It was, I'm not a huge war movie guy. I do appreciate a good war movie here and there, but I felt like that the way that this was handled, this was an exceptional war movie. I was a little bit tired of the World War II theme, but this one didn't feel like your typical world war two movie in the, in just the way that it was structured and how just the fact that it was this one specific thing and it wasn't focused solely on battles. It was just getting these guys to safety. Like that was the big push. And there's just something about this story that really captivated me. And the fact that it is a true story is it makes it even more impressive and, and just, adds to the epicness of this movie. Salt and 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Now, what I'm trying to decide is, since you did not see it in 70 millimeter, if you even oh. saw it. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Does oh, it even count? Yeah. Does it even count at this point? I think I saw it. All right. Um, so what I don't, did, what I don't did, know. If, I mean, I saw it with, I didn't, it wasn't 70 millimeter, but mine had recliners. Oh, okay. Well, at least you had that. So I think that's kind of the same. I don't know. 
With 70 millimeter, I, I feel like it's there's a little bit of a gamble when you go see a movie in 70 millimeter because you're you're putting a significant amount of faith in the projectionist to mm-hmm. do, to get it right. Because I remember when when I saw Hateful Eight, it was at a theater that just got their 70 millimeter projector. I think it was maybe part of that whole thing where when Hateful Eight came out and Tarantino, I don't know if he donated or helped fund a whole bunch of 70 millimeter projectors across the country. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was part of that. And it just, they got it, they fixed the issues, but at the beginning it was like all messed up. Like the, the video wasn't quite right. Like was it, it was a little out of focus. It was like kind of dark and it was just not the best, but well, the theater that I saw Dunkirk at, I also saw, that's where I saw Kong in 70 millimeter and they did it. They did it right. Because well, it, I'm it glad was everything worked out for you. Oh, it, millimeter. Oh, it was incredible. It, except for the fact that about six to eight minutes into the movie, a guy comes next to me. Now, when I go to a theater, I sit on the end. I always mm-hmm. sit on the end. That's it. I will only sit on the end. I never sit in the middle. So, yeah. guy comes up to me, and it's a, it's assigned seating. It's reserved seating, and he's like E sixteen. And I was like, okay, well, it's, I pointed to the seat. It was, I was sitting on the end then my wife, and then it was an empty seat. And that's where this guy had to sit. So not only is he late, but he asks me like an idiot where his seat is. He should know where his seat is. Then he sits down and these are, these are reclining chairs as well. This guy sits on the very edge of the reclining chair, like straight up. So he's like kind of leaning off the chair, sitting straight up. And it was making me really uncomfortable because I was like, dude, relax, relax. You're in a reclining chair. Just sit back, man. Like use that, use that backrest, dude. What are you doing? And he sat like that for like the first 30 minutes that he was there. I'm like, what is this guy doing? He's just, he was high strung. I mean, he was on, he was literally on the edge of his seat. Well, he was late too. So there there must've been something going on with him. Oh, my wife, my wife said he smelled really bad as well. So. Oh man! Apparently, he had an odor to him. It just there's a lot of things going on. In that he had a rough later. day. Clearly, it didn't it didn't detract from the movie for me. So I, I was cool with it, but it was just a, a mild annoyance. Anyway, what <laughs> did you think of what, what did you think of Dunkirk? See, that's the downfall of seventy millimeter. That didn't happen to me in my regular projection. Mm-hmm. Of it. Uh, Dunkirk, for the most part, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I had some some issues here and there with it. I think um, what I found most interesting because going into it, I was not I was not interested in this movie whatsoever. To be clear, so, I was not either. <laughs> this was another, and I'm even a. I think I can speak for the both of us that we're both kind of cr- big Christopher Nolan fan. But even going into this, I was just like, uh, what? I'm just getting out of the house and going to the theater. Really, like hopefully it's okay. But my expectations were not high. And a lot of it is because not a big uh, war movie guy. And I've talked about it numerous times, but I'm tired. I'm so tired of World War II. I'm just, I'm exhausted. So those two things were, uh, you know, kind of difficult for Dunkirk to overcome. But for the most part, I think it did. The the first thing that struck me, because I didn't see any trailers or anything, I don't think going into this. I didn't really know what it was about. Um, but 
in the sense that it's a war movie, but it's not necessarily what we've kind of what we associate with a war film where it's, you know, them fighting at battles and storming beaches. Right. And, and, and one of the things just to cut you off real quick, one of the big things that happens in a lot of these war movies, like saving private Ryan or thin red line, you develop these relationships with these characters and you get to know their backstories and their families. And then you, that, that adds this kind of emotional weight to, to it where, Oh, I don't want I don't want to see this person die. He has a family and blah blah blah. In Dunkirk, they kind of they put all of that stuff aside. And that was one of the most interesting things that I thought about about this movie is that he spent so little time with character development. Like we were spending the time with these characters, but he was like not concerned with, you know, long expository yeah. backstories with these people like it just it was what it was. We were spending time with these people. We got to know them a little bit, barely at all. I mean, yeah. ba- like nothing. We really didn't get to learn anything about these people. But at the same time, I felt like that it didn't detract in any way. It just kept the focus on the task at hand. Like, of course, these people aren't going to be talking about their loved ones and what they're going to do when they get home and all this stuff because there's a very immediate threat in front of them and they have to deal with it. And yeah. I really appreciated that. And also he didn't waste any time like with flashbacks before the war, or, you know, some of these other kind of tropes that happen in war movies. Yeah. Which that was the first thing that kind of struck me is, well, maybe not the first thing, but one of the things that I kind of noticed halfway through is that there's not a lot of fighting in this is with, you know, what you're kind of accustomed to going into a war film where number one in Dunkirk you don't really see the enemy at all, except for some some planes. That's about it. And it's essentially just them trying to get out of there. They're not really fighting back except for the, the air stuff. It's just right. essentially them getting to the beach and trying to, you know, it's more of like, there's a lot more logistics in this than actual, like, fighting right they're just they're trying to retreat basically they're trying to escape with their lives like they've already been defeated like where this picks up the fighting's over like the they they realize that they've been pushed back to the point where we have work we're surrounded we have no other option we can't fight them at this point we have to try to get out uh because if we don't they're gonna just kill all of us and then they're gonna head to england and england and if 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 they all get defeated or captured or whatever, then England is basically left unguarded because there's there was what there's four hundred thousand soldiers at Dunkirk yeah. and what, it was like three hundred thousand of them were English soldiers or something. Yeah, that's yeah, and they would I forget the exact number that they needed that they were trying to get. Off they were of trying the, to get thirty thousand. Yeah, there you go. Which is uh, that's another thing that I really that really struck me was the. I love how it was broken into the three, you know, the water yeah. and air. And I also enjoyed the, now I don't know if, I don't know if it worked a hundred percent, but the way in which time was handled. During uh, this- I, yeah. I thought it was awesome because at first, so it's, it's told in a nonlinear way. So at first you think, or at least I thought that everything was happening concurrently. Like I thought everything was happening simultaneously because that's what we're accustomed to. But then, yeah. Then all of a sudden you you realize some of this stuff's happening at nighttime and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't really. Okay. Yeah, so no we're, this isn't happening at the same time. And then you see they later on, they have 
the same event happening from different points of view. And I thought that that was a really cool idea to put in there as well. So you could have something like, you know, a ship getting bombed or whatever, but you see it multiple times from different points of view. I think it worked really well, especially in the sense that for me, I thought the, the main storyline was the, the three trying to survive and, you know, to put, to utilize time like that, where yes, at first it was really disorienting, but I think that's kind of what he was going for is that in the, cause I think they said their, their timeline, the mole section was like 12 days or a week, something like that. Mm. Like it told you at the very beginning, how long their, their portion of it was. Yeah. Which if you're going through this, I would imagine that time kind of becomes irrelevant at that point where you're, you don't really know what day it is because they're just, con- they're just escaping from one thing from another. They're jumping from this sinking ship. Now they're jumping from this sinking ship. This one's hit by a torpedo. There's now airplanes coming in and bombing them. Yeah. I, so I well, think it, it really did work in the sense that it was, it was, it was really disorienting as to what was happening. Yeah, I I really liked how the story was told. I thought it was it kept things really interesting and it it kept the pace moving too. It it didn't there weren't really many lulls in this in this movie. Like you said, when we go to the, like the survivors, the three the three guys that were just trying to get off the beach, it was just one thing after another and I'm like, "Oh my god, these guys cannot get a break. This is insane." And I don't know I don't know about you, but the thing that it made me feel or reminded me of, and I usually don't like make comparisons to other films, but it, it reminded me a lot of wake and fright where like he keeps trying to get out of that town (laughs) yeah, (laughs) and and stop drinking, but he just keeps ending up back in that town and drinking. And it seems like that's what was happening with these guys is they kept ending up back on the beach and they just want to get out of there. Yeah. Uh, the, so the film starts off with a pretty thrilling scene where the, one of the main survivors is getting shot at. And like you said, there's not a whole lot of like battle scenes. You don't see the enemy other than their planes. And that one scene was like really the kind of the only sort of shootout type moment in the film. And even then it was really just him trying to escape from the gunfire, uh, so I thought that that was a really good way to start the movie off because it was such a an adrenaline fueled opening with him trying to like the the way that the like the bullets were going through that fence and stuff and then you hit you get to the beach and when the bombings when they start doing the bombing runs on the beach I was just so blown away by everything like anytime there was a bombing run in in this movie I was just yeah i was just so amped up every time that would happen just because it was so uh the the sound that the planes would make as they were like kind of buzzing by and just everything felt so real and visceral that i was just i was so blown away by it i also like that juxtaposition when he first walks out and they kind of the camera just kind of shows the beach and how it is because i don't know you know for me that's the last thing I expect war to be like. It's just mm-hmm. like, hey, we're all lining up on the beach. It lo- it reminded Single me file. of like, yeah, like elementary school when we'd yep. be in recess and it'd be like grade one through five, line up. 
<laughs> then you can go back inside and it's just like you see them there and you're just like why why are you guys doing this like you're just sitting ducks this is not intelligent this is not an intelligent move i don't think they had any other recourse at that point because they've been pushed all the way to the beach so if they tried to go in i mean you saw they were the enemy was like right there yeah so they were kind of they were stuck they were trapped there they had nothing they had nothing nothing they they could do and of course every time they would load up a ship the ship would get bombed so yeah it was just it was such a bad situation they're in so it was just poor planning that's just terrible planning so one third of the movie is these the survivors the other part is the it follows a civilian vessel as they go try to help the people in Dunkirk. So this is this is one of the big kind of really powerful things that that makes this story such an incredible true story is that they got civilian volunteers to basically take their boats, their little fishing boats or tugboats or whatever and go save these soldiers from being killed and we follow this this guy and his son and i guess the the kid was like a worker of his i think it was his buddy i thought like a worker i think he was friends with the the son yeah i guess the the three of them set out to go uh rescue as many of these men as possible and then the the third part was all in the sky it's all it's uh, it follows tom hardy and his squad of pilots as they uh try to help the the, the men on the beach and fight off the uh, blow up the bombers and the fighter planes that are up there shooting people and bombing the ships and whatnot and i thought that the, all of the dogfight scenes were awesome i thought that they yeah. were so incredibly shot like i know that i didn't do extensive research on the making of this movie but i know that that he wanted to use as little cg as possible and that he did use real planes uh, flying up there and he he i forget the one thing that i did read after i saw was i think he did read or did create a a spitfire that they used they built one they built a camera housing into the thing and they actually down the plane and then i guess the plane sunk faster than they thought it would so they had to try and retrieve the camera and he the camera got wet i guess apparently or like the footage and stuff so they had to i guess they ended up utilizing some old school technique of keeping the film wet throughout the entire time until it was processed Hmm. which is just it's (laughs) like there's a part of you that appreciates it you're like damn good work that's in, that's ingenuity right there, guys. And then the other part's just like you did that for a movie. Like, come on, <laughs> seems like well, a lot of waste of money and resources. But I think that it goes to uh, we just don't see movies like this anymore. We don't see no, movies that yeah. try that do everything practically, you know. And just the, the scale of this movie, just how many how many people were involved. Like, there's just the the number of extras that were used and just ha- the explosions and the ship sinking and all of the stuff, like all of the sets that they must have constructed for this. I mean, it was really incredible. It, it really was. And the uh, I think that it really shows on screen too, because like those dog fighting scenes were awesome. Like yeah, they were, they the, were absolutely incredible. I think the dog fighting scenes were the, I think probably the best for me. 
just the way that it, all of it was handled. It was a very, that compared to everything else was like the dog fights were really minimalist, which was kind of a nice break from like the, from the other two storylines where it was just chaos and nonstop. Right. Yeah. But the, the, the civilian portion of it was the one that was kind of iffy for me. Like I, I overall liked it, but the, I think that's where, like, kind of like you said at the beginning where they don't, he doesn't really do any <clears throat> character development, right? We're just kind of thrust into this situation and you know what, what their immediate goal is, what they're trying to do with this one. I, with that portion, I just wish that he stuck to it. Like he fully committed to not doing character development. Cause then he tries to like squeeze in these little bits and they were just kind of, they just seemed out of place and really forced. Right. There's something Where, like that... the, the kids like on the ground. He's like, I just wanted to, I wanted to help, but I wanted to be in the paper. And right. Just like, oh geez. Yeah. We know you're going to be in the paper now. Yeah, yeah, I I will agree with that. It was uh, some of the, some of that stuff felt a little a little bit ham fisted, yeah. uh, and it didn't and it didn't really see it didn't seem necessary. You no, know what I mean? It, it could have easily left that stuff out. Like we knew that you can tell when that kid jumps on the boat at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> you know what he's doing. You know that he wants to be a part of something, right? And he wants to leave a mark. Like you don't need him to say it out loud. I also thought that what happens to that kid and what they do and how they handle it felt a yeah. little off to me. Now, the only thing, because that was my biggest gripe, because I thought that that was just extremely unnecessary. And just, just to me, I honestly, I just thought it was terrible. And the only thing I can think of is like, maybe that it that is like a full on true story in history where that like that happened to a kid and he wanted to, you know, put that in there, but that could be, I mean, it could be, but at the same time, like, I, I don't know, just to have that amongst everything else, just, it feels really out of place. I thought it was also interesting how he explored a little bit, the, how the soldiers that were at Dunkirk perceived themselves. Like they were, after they had a moment, like after they actually got rescued, you see this kind of moment of self-reflection where they look at them at themselves as cowards and they feel like they, they failed. Like they're, they're, they're losers. But then you see the reception that they get, which is funny. Cause like they, they feel like people are looking down upon them, but it's the exact opposite. People are looking at them like heroes and I, I thought that it was interesting to include that in there as well. Yeah, I just I think it that was another thing that kind of brought it down a little bit for me is it got a bit too rah 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 at the end, especially with the music. I thought Hans Zimmer's score was pretty excellent throughout, especially when it was more operating like the you know quasi experimental you know, like the droning sounds and stuff like that. Yeah. But then, when, you know, they, like when the when the civilians first showed up, and of course um, the commander is like, what is it? And he's like, it's home. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. You know, there's a, a couple of times where you just groan to yourself like, oh, God, really? Yeah, I mean, and I then, was... like the music that played, like when they came in, you know, it was that ridiculously like swelling. And mm-hmm. it's just like, ah. Yeah. 
I got to say, I was, I didn't mind that stuff because it, at that point I was so invested in it. I was just, I was on board. Like I was just going for the ride. So, you know, when, when you see those, all those boats coming in off the horizon, I was, you know, I was giddy. I was just like, yay, they're coming in to save them. So I, I was okay with it being like that because I was buying into it by that point. Yeah. I just thought that you, you, you got what you wanted with everyone cheering. I just, I didn't think you needed the obnoxious, like celebration music going on. Oh, the score. Yeah. I mean, I could have done without that. That was very typical of these types of movies. Plus the, 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 uh, the ticking, ticking clock thing. Like at first I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. This is like creating some tension here. And then like an hour and 15 minutes into I'm like, we're still doing the, the ticket thing. Okay. Yeah, they're doing that ticking. <laughs> yeah. believe it. I don't know if we need to keep doing that. Now you're just kind of being annoying. You better believe they're doing that ticking. And then everything that happened with Hardy at the end, I thought was a bit much too. Like where he's... Yeah. My he comes wo- back through to save the day and then he's able to land and he burns the... And the way they, the way they shoot him, you know, with... They get they get that close up with the the sunset and everything. That was a cool shot. Come on, it was a cool shot. But at the same time, it's just like this feels like a different movie right now compared to everything else. I also thought the that whole thing at the end where I don't want to spoil anything, but what he does, I thought was really cool. I thought it was pretty badass. Yeah, pretty badass move. And he, the one other thing that annoyed me was um, the way in which. They would shoot the face of what's his name, Kenneth. Um, Kenneth Brahma. Uh, yeah, the way they would shoot, you know, like something's coming in the distance, and they would like creep up on his face. Yeah, like he's just looking in shock. Like the first time it happened, I was like, okay, yeah, here we go. What is it? And then like the third or fourth time, it's just like, okay, we can stop, dude. Like <laughs> we know what he's looking at. They, we're not going to be surprised anymore. We're, the camera's not going to turn and show like Godzilla or something. It's going to be a plane. It's always going to be a plane. And the next time it's going to be a plane. And the fourth time it's going to be another goddamn plane. Like, well, we I think the, thing, the, the thing that we that kept us guessing was we never really knew for sure if it was a, a friendly or not. So it was building the tension is like, okay, there's a plane coming. Is it an enemy bomber or is it one of our guys? You know, what is it? Yeah, but they, they, he, he telegraphs it with the music. They did it a lot. Yeah, they there were just like, th- we there were definitely a lot of uh, shots of Kenneth Branagh standing stoically <laughs> on, on the edge of that pier. <laughs> that that definitely happens more than once. Look, looking out into the distance. Yep, he's just checking that horizon. Where are those where are those boats at? We need those ships. Uh, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if they felt this way in real life. They were probably just glad to be alive. But if if I were one of the men that was trapped there and got rescued, I'd I'd be a little pissed if I found out like, yeah, we were only gonna try to get thirty thousand of you and just leave the rest of you to die. I mean, yeah. I'd be like, what? There'd be a little resentment going on there if well, that was the case. Yeah, I think there's. You would have to come come to terms with a lot of things. Number one would just be like the bad tactics of why did we end up on the beach? Why did we get put like who planned out this attack that we yeah. ended up on Dunkirk? All of us. How did we all end up on Dunkirk? 
Yeah. And then you're only sending, you're only going to try and save 30,000 of us. Dick move. It is. And then, you know, to find out too that like, not only did we were only going to come and try and save 30,000 of you, but it wasn't going to be us. We were sending civilians in their little clipper, clipper boats and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Like way to pass the buck, Jesus Christ! You I know because like, I mean, isn't at, at this point isn't England famous for their their fleet, their naval fleet? Like that's that's the, they have the strongest navy in the world. They they have so where I mean, I'm sure that there's yeah. reasons I mean, I, for all of yeah, this. But I'm sure if I knew more about World War Two, but at the same time, it's just. Yeah, it just seems like a bad, like, like bad decisions were made to cause all this. Yeah. I also like how they not only were they surrounded and they were basically sitting ducks and they, they were fish getting shot in a barrel pretty much nonstop, but they were distributing those propaganda flyers that were like that you see at the beginning and basically just making fun of them for them being surrounded. Like I was like, damn. Rubbing it in their faces. It's gonna hurt. Salt in the wound. Yeah. I also didn't. I didn't a hundred percent appreciate that the one because it's mostly all English, right? Except for you see, there's what like a Dutch captain that shows up mm-hmm. for a little bit. He doesn't have much to do. And then there's the French soldier. And I, I thought it was kind of ridiculous that of course they paint, paint the French soldier is the guy that's always looking for a way out. He's just always trying to get out of situations. Oh, I thought he was more clever than all of them. Well, yeah, I, th- I think so, too. Because that's what I would be doing. I'd be like, fuck this, I'm not fighting. I'm just trying to get the fuck out of here. Well, also, when they get on that one ship, and everybody's below deck, and it's like that huge mass of people that's below deck, and I'm like, why would I ever want to be in that situation? Yeah. That's, you see these shi- you see these ships getting sunk like nonstop. Every uh, like almost every ship that comes in gets bombed. So why would you think that this one's somehow going to be different? Like no, I'm going to yeah. be I'm going to be staying in a place where I have an easy way out. Well, plus the fact too that it was just poor planning again. Like the water is not coming. And I mean they got it wrong because they thought it was every three hours when it was every six. So even okay, they thought in three hours time the water would be back in, but Yes, actually, it's going to be six. But even then, like, you're just going to sit in a boat for three well, hours? Yeah. Like, maybe wait until the water comes in a little bit, and then let's run to that boat. I was talking about the other ship that they were on, the big one. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But, okay. but yeah, I agree with you on that one, too. <laughs> there's there's a lot of ships that they get on, and a lot of them sink. We'll just play that out there. <laughs> Every ship. I also thought it was odd, and I know that this is, a stupid thing to wonder about but did like tommy the tommy character at the very beginning that ditches his gun and everything like he just he just needs to poop yeah he kept trying to take a shit and getting interrupted so i think there's lasted like 12 when when did that happen did it happen i don't know if it happened or not I mean, I would imagine like in all of the chaos and confusion, he probably just said fuck it and went in his pants. <laughs> probably the first just, time he ended up in the water. He was like, all right, well, now's a good time, I guess. I just thought that that was a really bizarre thing to like. That was really the only action that we saw him doing, <laughs> like in our in- introduction to him. 
was him trying to t- take a shit, him <laughs> retreating. And then as soon as he's safe, he tries to take a shit again. And it's just, I thought that that was a very bizarre way to start, you know, to be introduced to a character and to start a war movie. Well, I think it's just a, a testament to how unsafe they are. Like, you don't even have a moment to take a shit because you're just constantly being bombarded by bullets and bombs and all of that like you don't even have a moment to yourself yeah anyway i thought it was pretty great overall uh big question for you how was harry styles i thought he was all right i thought he was fine too there's really there's very minimal dialogue in this movie no nobody talks at length yeah it's 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 all kept very less it, it was all kept very tight it would have been better if there was less, honestly. Like, if you would have cut out a lot of that stuff on the civilian boat. Yeah, I think that's where most of the talking takes place. That and with, like, Kenneth Branagh on the on the edge of the pier. But that a lot of that stuff is just them talking about tactics yeah. and what's happening and what <laughs> the situation was, is. I didn't... Again, the, like, my biggest issue is the civilian boat. Because I also don't understand, like, why why did the kid lock him in the room? And why did they play that is like they spent time on that when he's like, let me out, let me out. And they're like building tension. It's just like, why? Why did you lock him in a room? Well, he seemed unstable. So I guess he was just concerned about it. I mean, what happens later, I guess we could see why, why he locked him in the room. If he, if he kept him locked in there, maybe bad things wouldn't happen. Maybe. But F- then that kid, fucking Killian never- Murphy, come on. Well, he, that kid got his dream, okay? So, in a way... Yes, his dream did come true. And Murphy made that happen. So, is he a hero? I don't know. I'm not saying it, but, I mean, you could. You I thought could it was al- it. I thought it was also interesting that he lied to him later. Yeah, which I thought was kind of dumb, because it's like, he's going to find out. <laughs> he, <laughs> which, of course, he does, like, as soon as they get off. He's like, yep. Yeah, I mean, he, of course he's going to find out, but also I feel like any teenage boy that age would not do that like they would hold i feel like they would hold a grudge even if it is against uh, a soldier who's fighting for your freedom i feel like yeah. he would even he he'd just be like nah dude he's not okay you fucked up yeah but maybe if he thought maybe if he went that route he would be next oh uh, maybe i don't know because maybe murphy just kills everyone on that boat <laughs> and takes it back himself saves himself he's psycho he's psycho yeah. killer a whole different movie. A whole All right, another movie could have happened. Let's uh, let's give this a score. Dunkirk. I'm gonna throw out an eight point five on this one. Okay, I'm sitting and I'm sitting like a seven and a half, eight. I'm like right in there. Now on the Nolan filmography, where is this? Where's this sitting for you? Uh that's a tough one because there's a lot of movies of his that I haven't seen in ages, and I know that they don't hold up. Um. I wanted to watch rewatch Inception before this because I haven't seen that movie since it was in the theater, and I've been really wanting to revisit that one. It's de- it's definitely better than Interstellar. Yep, I was just about to say that. I I like this actually, a lot more than Interstellar, and I liked Interstellar. I mean, that's the tough thing because like compared to Interstellar, there's a part of me that likes Interstellar more because there's more creativity there. But then also his issue is that that dialogue where a lot of it's just groan inducing and here he he keeps it to a minimum so it works out the best for him 
see i think yeah i think i would have to go with dunkirk better than interstellar i don't know about inception i haven't seen that in a while i think inception's probably still above dunkirk for me see i would i would put that above just because of creativity yeah yeah but i mean you're telling it you know you have limitations with this if you're trying to stick to a true story you're trying to be historically accurate and i think that what i mean i think he if i did if i got to choose he wouldn't have made this movie at all like we don't need more real life stories of world war ii we can stop we got enough we don't have to keep like rehashing this war and showing how great people are but people are great let's let's move on people are great but they're not because we had the war in the first place so they're not that great well that's why those people weren't even on camera we didn't give those assholes the time of day (laughs) so fuck those guys all right that is dunkirk that is in theaters now highly recommend it go see it let's talk about some of what we've been watching on the watch list i'll start off with a movie called no way to live this is out this is out now on blu-ray vod it's uh this is a little little indie noir thriller takes place in the 50s and it's about uh this door-to-door salesman who ends up falling in love with this with this girl he's black she's white so this is in the south too so this is this is in during the, the jim crow period of the south the, the the latter years of it uh but it was before you know the civil rights uh the civil rights bills were passed so still a lot of uh still a lot of really heated yeah, is- racial tension down there and so it starts off as this kind of love story so the, these two people they fall in love they decide to run away together to mexico and she's going to steal her father's money. She says that he has all this cash laying around the house. She's going to steal it. They're going to run away to Mexico. So she does. Mm-hmm. She, she steals it. But uh, the, the guy finds out that she ends up killing, killing her father. And yeah. they're like, okay, well, we got to get out of here. She steals 10 grand from him. And as they're, they're on their kind of road trip to Mexico, you start to find out more about each, each person and you and you realize that neither of them are the people that uh, we originally thought they were, and there are mm. there's tons of twists, tons of turns. It's it's actually a really good time. So I would recommend checking it out. I do have a review up on the site, and uh, again, it's called No Way to Live, and it's directed by Nick Chalk, Nick Chakwin, and David Guglielmo. I watched uh, Ellie. This is from 2013, uh, directed by Amat Escalante. Uh, this is uh, this is brutal. It's a brutal movie. Just straight up, just mm, it does not hold back. I mean, it starts out right off the bat, just some guys in the back of a truck, beaten, tied up, duct taped, bloodied. They drive out to this bridge, take the one guy, hang him, throw him over the bridge, and they just drive off. So that's how you're introduced. To this movie so you kind of sets the tone right off the bat that uh that this is this is not going to be a good time this is going to be a bleak bleak movie so it is it's mexico drug trafficking um police corruption all that stuff essentially it's just this this young guy recently married not even a year yet they have a small kid um 
lives with his dad and his 12 year old sister and he him and his dad work at the local auto plant and they're just they just go to work they mind their business they just try and live their life well here the 12 year old sister gets involved with i guess he's like a i don't know if he's like a special special forces or if he's just regular police type cadet so they're in love and he wants to run off and get married so he ends up stealing some drugs and then that's where everything kind of goes downhill and it gets it has one sequence some torture which good lord it is tough to watch it Mm. is just it is overwhelmingly bleak and it's just kids you know where they you know kind of entrust the the enforcement to some teenagers and they're just they they stop playing their Wii and just go to town and the worst part of it is like as they're doing this in the room and like the one kid's just like hanging out on his phone and stuff and when they have the shot of they have the guy hung up by his hands and they're kind of hitting him with what looks to be like a cricket bat and the way the shot's set up is through the doorway you can see their mother or something cooking dinner so she knows what's going on and it's just oh hmm. man this sounds pretty brutal oh it's it is it is it's called ellie yeah h h e l i it is a it's a rough one it's i mean overall it's it's an all right movie that there's the execution of it's pretty pretty solid it's a bit long um got some got some big lulls in there and it's some of the brutality just seems like i know why it's being that brutal but i don't know i don't know i don't know if it worked 100 percent. so it's like a like a light recommend all right how's this available uh i got dvd okay all right dvd uh i saw one that was also pretty brutal it's called kuso this is the uh the flying lotus movie I'm not going to talk about it too much because this uh, this is a little spoiler for an upcoming episode of Ryan Watches a Movie. I'm going to definitely have him watch this one. So stay tuned for that next week. Not this week, next week. Yeah. Uh, talk about it there. Uh, yeah, so I, I watched it. It came out this weekend on Shudder and uh, we, do, we do have a review for this up on the site. One of our new guys, Chris reviewed it so check that out uh holy crap it's uh probably one of the grossest movies i've ever seen i'll just throw that out there so that should be incentive enough to tune in next week to hear ryan's thoughts on it uh and i don't know if uh i don't know if you saw i i sent you a message uh bus drivers in it i i knew some of his music was in it i didn't know he was actually in it yeah he's in it yep he's in it George Clinton's in it. Hannibal, Bar- Hannibal Barris's character—it's just his voice. He—he he voices a—I uh, oh, don't even know what it is. Transdimensional being. Yeah, yeah. It is weird, man. It is out there. It is gross and violent. Not—not not even that violent, but really gross. I mean, fluids. So many fluids. Tons of fluids. There's a, there's a really loose. Narr- there, there is no narrative really there's a very loose plot involving a, a huge a massive earth earthquake that hits los angeles and evidently it sort of mutates people and 
from what I can understand, it like brings out the ugliest uh, in people. So everyone turns into their most horrific form. So everybody's really kind of sick and depraved and it's a, it's a pretty messed up movie. Not going to lie. I don't know if I liked it or not. I'm going to say no, I didn't because I think it was just too disjointed. I think that there were some really, really cool visuals in there, but it, it was just too sporadic for me to really get behind. Yeah. There's some interesting music in there. Uh, obviously flying Lotus does a bunch of the music. Apex twin does a bunch of the music for it as well. But I guess apparently they changed the soundtrack. Like the movie was already done and it screened at, at Sundance before the music was done. And he ended up, because he wanted to make the music after the movie. So he made the movie, and then he did all the music for it later. Okay. So all, all the music, I guess, was changed. Apparently there were a lot of walkouts at Sundance for this one. There was like 18 people that le- that left. I could see that. Because it was just... It's, I think I would walk out. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, as far, as, as far as the content. Yeah. For me, uh, gross liquid stuff. Just no thank you. Yeah, there's there's somebody I don't that want had, anything to do with that. There's a scene involving somebody fucking a trachea. Yeah, no thanks. See, so, you tell me that. I don't want to watch that shit. I want to watch some uh, trachea sex? No, no thank you. The fuck? <laughs> so yeah if you want to see something really messed up sick depraved goofy check out kuso it's on shutter now thank you for that because i was actually going to check it out but then you're like tricky fucking like nah it's done in a really tasteful way really no <laughs> no no i was gonna say tongue-in-cheek more like tongue-in-trachea but uh yeah it's it's a gross movie it's it's basically like uh it, it'll remind you of something that you would see on adult swim uh tim and eric one one of the more sick tim and eric sketches it's definitely like that a lot of deliberately poor animation like that really kind of you know that like really shitty cg that you see mm-hmm. that that like some like that's supposed to be bad you, you have a lot of that in there a lot of really weird um, kind of after effects stuff happening where like people's faces get distorted and very, very Tim and Eric. So I would say if you're into that kind of anti-comedy stuff, maybe give it a look if you can handle really gross stuff. That's all I got. Uh, I got a couple other ones I could mention. One is called Killing Ground. This is an Australian horror film came out this weekend, uh, directed by Damien Power. Damien Power. I like that name. I don't know if that's a real name. Damien Power. This is a, this is a pretty solid Australian horror film. I like Australian horror films for the most part. I think that they they always have a lot of Australian horror movies are just really they like cross the line. A lot of a lot of these movies that I see are just like so depraved and dark. Like that Hounds of Love movie that I saw at Tribeca this year. It was so intensely dark, but but so well done. This one's the same it's uh this cinematography is fantastic and it's the same cinematographer that did the loved ones which i liked a lot another really good australian horror movie that that looks fantastic uh this one really basic story it's about a couple who go camping in the in the bush and they get hunted by this kind of 
self-disturbed individual who calls himself a hunter. He likes to hunt people. He's a people hunter. Oh, no. People hunter. So the story is nothing new. Like, this is this is very standard stuff. We've seen this a million. In fact, I think just a couple weeks ago, I talked about a movie about uh, people that went hiking in the mountains and somebody was hunting them. I mean, it's just such a, such a boring storyline. But... In this film's defense, they do it in a in a at least an entertaining way. It's not I wouldn't call it a unique way or anything like that. The structure of the film is sort of interesting because when the couple first meets one of the guys, you don't really know what his deal is, but the movie jumps forward and backward in time so you can actually see what he's done previously to a family that was camping in the same area. So even though you know that this guy's bad news and he is probably going to do something horrible to this family, you don't really know what. And then when you see what he does to this other family, then you know, like, okay, this is really bad. This is going to be a really bad situation for this couple. Mm-hmm. So it's it was kind of structured in a, in a not a unique way, but an interesting way. And uh, yeah. so it's a light recommend, I would say. I have a review for this up on the site also. And then finally, I'll mention Landline. This is the um, new one from uh, the director of Obvious Child. Uh, this is the one that I was thinking of when we were trying to figure out the other movie that was coming out. Mm. This is the one I was... I forgot about this one. I want to see this. It's really good. Uh, so stars Jenny Slate and Abby Quinn as sisters. This, it takes place in 1995, I think. Yeah, 1995. And basically, they, they're they all sort of, this family's all sort of in a state of flux when it comes to love and relationships. So you have the younger sister, played by Abby Quinn. She's, uh, so, she's sort of becoming a woman and coming into her sexuality and hooking up with this dude who's not really her boyfriend, but... She's not sure if she wants to have him. She likes him a lot, but she, but she's about to go off to college. So it's it's sort of she doesn't really know how to handle the relationship. And then you have Jenny Slate, who's engaged um, to to a really, really decent guy played by um, uh, Jay Duplass. And she's, I guess, questioning her her engagement with him. And she ends up cheating on him. And then you have. The mom, played by Edie Falco, who she's having trouble in her uh, marriage to to John Turturro, who's cheating on her with another woman, and it's uh, it's all about connections. I think that's why they one of the reasons they said it in 1995 when they were saying like the whole tagline is when people were harder to reach. So it's oh. kind of a play on that. The because you had to use a landline. The whole. Yeah, the whole like '90s aesthetic—they don't bash you over the head with it. It's done in a really kind of subdued way. Like you're very aware that it's the '90s through the clothing and just subtle things. It's not a constant. It is. Yeah, it is absolutely not like uh, the the one the one movie that I always reference when it comes to talking about egregious use of uh, items from a decade is that movie "Take Me Home Tonight," the one with. Uh, the one oh, with, yeah. uh, what's his name? Oh, <laughs> Topher Grace in Topher. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that movie was so egregious with its eighties references that it's the worst example of that. I think. Yeah. This movie handles it really well. Uh, and it's, 
it's a really great story. The dialogue's fantastic. It's great script. I would expect nothing less from this director because she, she's just been... I mean, I loved Obvious Child. And Jenny Slate is just... I feel like Jenny Slate could win an Oscar at some point very soon because she's just so... She's so incredible. You just need to keep putting her in things. Yeah. I, I think she has a an, least, an insanely promising career. At least that. Can we at least get that going on? Yeah, keep putting her in stuff because she's... She's absolutely incredible. All right. Let's move on and talk about some releases. What do we got this week? We got... Oh. What are the big ones? The Emoji Movie? We got the Emoji... coming out this week? Yeah. They're going to go ahead with that. That's a real thing. They're doing it. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. I thought, I mean, there's still time to, to turn around <laughs> and drop it. You can drop it because... I'm sorry, guys, but you're going to lose a shit ton of money. I, yeah, I just, I I'm just not, I just don't see that being a success. It just looks so bad. Like I see it and I want to throw things at the poster every time I see a poster for it. I just want to throw yeah. objects at it. Yes. I just, I hate it so much. Atomic Blonde comes out. Pretty excited for this one. Oh, that's what we're covering. Cause I'm going to actually see that yeah. if it comes here. Which it should. No, it will. Yeah, no, that's that, that's definitely getting a wide release. That's from the uh, the uh, John Wick fellas. So definitely excited for that one. Great trailer. Overplayed. I saw it way too many times, but still a good trailer nonetheless. We got Brigsby Bear. I'm really excited for Brigsby Bear. This sounds interesting. I'm with Kyle Mooney. This was a big hit at Sundance. About a guy who... I'm not exactly sure, but it seems like he lives in like some sort of fallout shelter or something, and he lives his entire life in isolation. And then when he realizes that his favorite kid show has been canceled, he like leaves. He's no, he's kidnapped. He's he's been living. He thought the kidnappers were his parents, and then okay. I guess whatever happens, and he's free. Then I guess he tries to make a movie of the tv show or something he tries to finish the final episode so he tries to make the final episode for it i'm in yeah i'm in in. i'm totally in i think it looks awesome count me in yep we have menashi uh this this one i'm pretty sure that's not go ahead and say that's not how you pronounce it how do you be wrong menash i have no idea but menashi does not sound (laughs) Does not sound Hebrew at all. I don't. I don't, I don't know. How do you? How would you say Manash? I'm just. I'm just. Manash. I have no. I'm not going to attempt. I'm not going to embarrass myself. No, you'll just leave that to me. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> That's fine. Correct. Yes. Either way, the movie looks really good. I'm. I'm pretty excited for this one. Uh, let's see what else we have here. It stains the sands red. I haven't even heard of this movie. It looks like a horror movie. Person to person comes out next week. Uh, yeah, you saw this one, definitely. So that's definitely see that. Yeah, looks like looks like you're pretty big on that one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Strange weather, starring Holly Hunter, looks uh, and <laughs> no, no, not for me. VOD this week we have. All right, here we go. Diana, our mother, her life and legacy. This is that HBO uh, Princess Diana documentary. Who the fuck is that guy? Oh, that's a title? Yeah, that's okay. the... I thought you were still talking about the prince. <laughs> no. 
This is a rock doc, I think. Returning citizens. This is on the 25th, by the way. Returning citizens. The Persian connection. Simple creature. Sea gypsies. The far side of the world. Sea gypsies. The far side of the world. Sea gypsies. Oh, that's like a... Uh, it's like, it's, yeah. What's this? It's a, it's a doc. I thought it was some weird kids movie. Then on the 28th, we have Strange Weather and Person to Person. Blu-ray this week for... This is for July 25th, Tuesday. We have a Blu-ray release of Dario Argento's Stendhal Syndrome. Definitely recommend checking that out from 1996. Awesome, awesome movie. Yeah. I talked about it actually not too long ago on the, on the podcast. We got the Warlock Collection. This is uh, the newest entry in the Vestron Collector series that Lionsgate's putting out. I'm actually working on this one right now. I I didn't talk about it in the watch list, but I watched Warlock 1 and 2, and I almost finished Warlock 3. I'll be finishing it up today. I only have like a couple minutes left. So I'll uh, talk about that next week with the Warlock Collection comes out. Never heard. Of, I never even heard of these movies. Really? I, don't, I don't know if they just... Somehow they just passed me by. Or if I did hear of them, they just, I glossed over them and didn't pay attention. But let me tell you, they're pretty awesome. Good stuff. Nice. <laughs> they're pretty awesome. Third one, not so much, but we'll get into it next week. Ghost in the Shell, this is the uh, live action one from this year that's not very good. Arrow is putting out uh, Reanimator from 1985. Great cover on that. Holy crap, I want that for the cover. <laughs> Batman Mask of the Phantasm from 1993 is coming out. Let's see what else we got here. Boss Baby. Ton of anime. Gifted. This is the Mark Webb one, I think. And that's pretty much it. Oh, that Unforgettable movie is also coming out. What do we have on the Criterion front uh, this week? Uh, We have one. And that is Albert Brooks's Lost in America from 1985. Never saw this one. I haven't either. But uh, it's weird because I, I, I've been watching this, you know, covering, watching the special features and whatnot. <clears throat> and that the 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 Blu-ray has a bunch of uh, new interviews with Albert Brooks, with uh, Julie Haggerty, um, with I think Albert Brooks's I want to say manager or agent. Um, James L. Brooks, he, they have an interview with. So it has all these new interviews, right? And it talks about the movie and talks about Albert Brooks and working with Albert Brooks. And so, of course, they show clips here and there of the movie. And from seeing some of the clips, I think I've seen this movie before, mm. but I'm I'm not sure. But it all felt really familiar to me. So you're watching all the bonus content before the movie itself? Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. To each his own? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm uh I do the opposite. I watch the movie, then I consume the bonus content. And I, I gotta tell you, I'm a little worried about this warlock stuff. There is so because there's tons of bonus features for, for all three of them. And yeah. it's like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> well that's just a you know, spoiler to my review of Lost in America. For you know, with criterions you usually have a plethora of supplements on there. You know, and this one I was kind of surprised because, you know, it's a relatively, it's not an old movie, you know, 1985. Right. You had new interviews with most of the people that were involved with the movie and that's it. 
and it's the, the interviews are just like little 10 minute interviews and there's like four of them and that's it it's like usually there's so much more going on with these man not this one you know there's something wrong there's more bonus features on the warlock trilogy blu-ray <laughs> Because there, uh, there's like hours of stuff on these things. I don't even, it's like, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to get through all this stuff. Well, that's the other thing too, is sometimes they go overboard with it and they just, they put like everything that they can find. Yeah. And this one, like with the Warlock one, they included all of the bonus features from other, I don't know if it was like a DVD release. It's they on the disc, they say vintage features but so i don't know if it was from like a laser disc release or a dvd release but so they not only do they have all the new stuff but they have all the old stuff too so it's it is it is packed but i'll have a review for that up hopefully by tuesday they're a little late in getting it to me so i don't know anyway i think that that is gonna do it for this week thank you so much for listening you can send us questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net you can follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash FilmPulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. I